ready to go, uh, Sheldon? Okay, guys, we've been talking about Zechariah 8 as uh, the chapter that we need to look at to kind of figure out where we are supposed to go in 2020. And uh, Zechariah by itself as a book is a book where God, through visions that he gives Zechariah, begins to outline for Israel what the future looks like. And so it just so happens that we are at Zechariah 8 verse 9. And Zechariah 8 verse 9 reads something like this, depending on the version you're reading from. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. You who in these days hear these words from the mouth of the prophets, who on the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, foretold that the temple might be rebuilt. So uh, Zechariah 8 9 is basically talking about how God began through visions and through words to Zerubbabel and through uh, Zechariah, was able to tell Israel, Israel, this is what the future looks like. So let's assume this Zechariah was written today in 2019. God is basically saying to Zechariah, hey, I want to show you what 2020 looks like. So let me speak to you through the prophetic, through visions, so that you guys have an idea of what 2020 will look like. So we're just taking that one verse and now building this idea of what does vision really look like. So that's what we'll be looking at. Yeah? So... Most of you know Proverbs 29.18. Proverbs 29.18 says that where there is a lack of vision, there is no restraint. Or where there is a lack of revelation, there is no restraint. So, so at the end of the day, guys, by the time we go through this today, and I really think we'll be able to finish on time, um, uh, by the time we go through this, you and I will have an idea of how to begin to figure out 2020 for each of us individually and perhaps an idea of how to handle Zechariah 8 as our inheritance verse for 2020. So you get to figure out, Father, what does my 2020 look like? What are the plans that you've crafted for me? And we get to practice that as a body. So um, Proverbs 29:18 says that where there is no vision, people lack restraint. And Hosea chapter 4, verse 6 says, uh, where there is no vision, people perish. As in where there is no knowledge, people perish. So here's kind of the equation. Where there is no vision, there is no knowledge. And if there is no knowledge, there is no track to run in. And because there is no track to run in, there is no restraint. And people do as they please or as they think is best. And that is often the condition of our lives and often the condition of the church, eh? Because we go with what may have been tried before and looks like must be tried again because it's working for somebody else. And yet, uh, God, because he's a father, has a dream that applies to each person. This is the amazing thing about this God who is the God of the universe. When it comes to his children, sons and daughters, it's very personalized. It's not some kind of generic thing that he's throwing you away saying, one size fits all. No. And so, where there is no vision, there is no knowledge. Where there is no knowledge, there is no track to run in. Where there is no track to run in, there is no restraint or no borders. So people do whatever they want. And what do we substitute that with? We substitute it with goals and targets. So we have the ability to come up with goals we have the ability to come up with projects. We have the ability to come up with targets, but we don't have vision that God has crafted for us. This is not some mission statement that I come up with. 
This is not some vision statement that the church comes up with. This is God-crafted. If it's not God-crafted, it's really not big enough to follow. Any man-made vision or mission is absolutely achievable. One of the ways you know that what you are following is not a God vision is that it is doable with the resources that you have. That's how you know it's not God. If you can do it, then it ain't God. And it's a question I know we've asked before over this last one year. What is it that you and I are attempting in our life right now that is beyond you and me? We don't have the resources, the abilities, the skills, the gifting, or the manpower for it. And all of us need that, eh? Because otherwise, what do you live for? So, um, projects, targets, goals uh, is what we usually are good at. But what we require first is a vision that God has crafted for us. Because before we are called to something like a goal, we are called to someone who has a master plan. As Christians, before we are called to something like a goal or a target or a project, we are called to someone who has a master plan. And it's important to differentiate that. We can go 2020, let's have 20 churches in 2020 with 20 house churches. 2020, 2020, 20. That could be our next slogan. And then throw fire at the beginning or river at the end, and you've got it made. But, but what, if, what if we had to go and instead of finding a target, we have to go not look for something, but look for someone, because that someone has a master plan. And surprisingly, he's got a master plan for Finn. He's got a master plan for Betty. He's got a master plan for Heidi. And it's so crafted, eh? It is so crafted for each person. So uh, we can write down things to do and targets, but here's a question. Can you write down God's vision for you? Can you write down, can you write down God's vision for you in language that Tate can understand? Can you write down God's vision for you in language that Tate can understand? Tate uh, is Greek for a child. So uh, some call it Tate or Tate. So uh, I would go with Tate. Tate is Greek for a child. So a child can understand. Yeah? <laughs> it's amazing what you can get away with in Greek. Yeah. <laughs> Habakkuk 2 puts it this way, Habakkuk 2.2 says uh, that write down your vision and make it plain so that anyone who reads it can understand. If your vision is so complicated that you need to sit down for an hour and explain it, something is seriously wrong. It just means that you don't know what God is saying. It has to be really simple. And so let's define the idea of vision. So here's what vision um, would look like. Vision is God's dream for you. Hey, why God's dream? Because he's a father. Every father has a dream for his child. Every mother has a dream for her child. You think Sheldon and Jane don't dream for their child. You think Shika and Subin don't dream for their boy. Each one begins to dream. You think 
um, Rachel and Matt are not already dreaming about the twins even though they're not born. As in this is what they will become. This is who they are. The great thing about the prophetic, what is the prophetic? The prophetic is a revealing of God's dream before things have even formed. So that you know that this is a father's desire. That at the end of the day is the simplest way to explain the prophetic. It is someone putting into words the dream of God for a situation, a person, a nation, a city. So vision is God's dream for your life and it becomes an overarching canopy. It becomes like a tent that covers your life. Every father has a dream for his son, man. The crazy thing is these dreams begin in God's mind before we were even formed. There is a Jacob that was in God's mind before the earth was created. And then God was waiting for a day when Jacob would be found or Jacob would find him. And then one day Jacob gets saved. And the moment he gets saved, what happens? God says, now I can begin to actively bring my dream for you to pass. And as I begin to cooperate with him, the dream begins to unfold. And his dream is really not about Jacob. It is his dream through Jacob for the benefit of others. That's the cool thing about this dad's dream. Every other dad or mother will dream for their child that they become doctors and lawyers. Bob and I were traveling once uh, in Calgary and we wanted an upgrade to the lounge. I had a guitar so they told us, uh, I went and asked if we could get a lounge to sit in and they said, you have a guitar if you sing we'll give you the lounge. So I pulled out my guitar and I started singing, Mamas, don't, la don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. Don't let them play guitars and drive them old trucks. Make them big doctors and lawyers and such. It looked very strange, yeah? East Indian singing a cowboy song. And so, I mean, we got what they wanted to give us, but the point is most parents want their children to become lawyers and doctors. This parent wants their children to become something that will benefit the world. So it's always a strengthening of a boy or a girl to pour them out for the benefit of the world. That's how God's dream works. God's dream is always towards strengthening you so that he can pour you out. This church must be poured out. You must die empty. So God's dream for your life and it becomes an overarching canopy and uh, God releases it in portions. He releases it in portions. Hey Jacob, 2020 is coming. I'm going to release to you in portions what I expect you to begin to discover, possess, and then build on. I'll release it to you in portions. I won't give it to you in one lot. You wouldn't be able to handle it. I did the same thing with Israel. When I took them into the promised land, I told them, I won't give you this land in one shot because you wouldn't be able to deal with the beasts that are in the land. They'd ravage you. So I'll give it to you bit by bit by bit. And so it is the same with what he allots to us. Begin to discover it because all of us have it waiting for us in 2020. A portion that God allots to us. And he gives it to us in appointed times, meaning there are seasons for this. God does not work with chronological years. Sometimes what he releases you to you over the next 15 days may last you three years, man. Because that's how massive it is. But ask God, eh? Because he's not a reluctant giver. Which father who has a dream and has a son or a daughter who passionately wants to seek and follow God will not release that dream to his child? Because it's a father's desire. He's not reluctant to show you what he wants. But it requires some work to extract it, to draw it out, to press in. That is the part we fail at, eh? Because we go and think it's like asking, uh, what's that thing that answers when you ask for questions? No, 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 that other thingy. 
What's Alexa? This is not Alexa. Tell me my future. You will be. No, no, this is not that way. This requires pressing in, extracting, drawing it out. Eh? And that's where we fail because we've gotten so used to Alexa that waiting on God to extract stuff doesn't come easy. So, and he gives, releases it to us in appointed time so that we can accomplish his purpose. So that we can accomplish his purpose. Any questions, guys? Any questions? Uh, God's not reluctant to reveal this, eh? But he expects you to press in, extract it. And then after you extract it, guys, here's what you need to do. Once you extract what God is trying to say to you, uh, refine it or distill it into three sentences. Confer with someone so that you can confirm what God has said and then begin to work on it, which we'll talk about. So refine it. Once you've heard what God has said, refine it, distill it into three sentences. Then go confer and confirm it to someone. What do you mean confer and confirm it to someone? In Galatians 2.2, 2, it says that Paul having received different revelations from Jesus himself, decided to go up to Jerusalem to meet with Peter and a few other apostles to verify what he had heard so that he would not be running in vain. As in, I wanted to go and confer with Peter and a few others that what I was hearing and uh, receiving from God was real. And once he confirmed it, he knew that he wasn't running in vain. Confer it and confirm it with others. It's a necessary step. Hey guys, after saying all this, I want to tell you something. And this is not a negative confession. It's just factual. After writing all this, you know, there might be 60 or 70 of us here right now. 30 of us won't do this. Why? For different reasons, man. Oh my God, if you press in, you have no idea what life begins to look like. Half of us won't do this. Any questions? No? All good? Cool. Like it says in Philipp Philippians 3.12, I think it says in Philippians 3.12 that um, uh, I have been uh, accosted by God to run after him. Oh no, that's not what it says. Can someone, uh, I'll read it. Philippians 3.12. Philippians 3.12. It says, um, not that I've already obtained all this or have already made, been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. I press on to take hold of. God's vision must apprehend you so you can press in to take hold of it. Uh, uh, this, is a, this is a cool thing. Eh? Every year, Around September or so, I'll start asking God, Father, what's your vision for Acts 29? Uh, what's your dream or desire for me? And there might be leftovers from 2019 that I'll have to keep working at in 2020. What is it that you're casting afresh for me? And I got to begin to work on it so that come January or Feb 2020, I'm already in the thick of it and I've been so apprehended by it that everything I do is poured towards accomplishing what God has for me and not what the church has for me, not what Jacob has for me, not what a book has for me, but what God has for me. 
because it'll be much larger than a book Jacob or anybody can offer me. The impossibility is what is so attractive, guys. Both for the church and for us as individuals, eh? So, uh, begin to think like this. We, uh, we, we're not waiting for January 1st. Oh God, we've got to get this for before January 1st. No, God's really not into those kind of deadlines. He just begins the process and then it begin, you, you, you add to it, you add to it, it begins to grow. But man, we've got to press in the, into this. Hey, remember, I've said this before, God is super intentional. Why don't we become intentional too? You, you won't hear K Sarah Sarah sung in heaven. It is a vision of God, guys, that will fuel you when uh, there are no projects, no goals, when life is routine and sometimes life involves suffering. If you don't have vision, those times will kill you. But when there are no projects, when there are no goals, when life is mundane, when life is sometimes a life of suffering or where you're paying a very high cost, the only thing that will sustain you during those times is when you have a God vision. That's how Joseph survived, eh? That's how Paul survived. No, that's how Joseph thrived. That's how Paul thrived. That's how Jesus for 30 years worked away at wood as a carpenter. That's how um, Habakkuk survived. When you read Habakkuk 1, 2, and 3, you realize that, huh, this is what sustained them. Thrive, eh? And so here's what vision does for us. It orients our goals, as in it begins to, it begins to show us what goals are worth pursuing. What goals are worth pursuing. You stop imitating others. Because my God, your vision is crafted for you, man. And don't ever let your age begin to determine what God can set for you. There were two guys in the Bible. One was called Barzillai, the other one was called Caleb. Barzillai was 80, Caleb was 84. Both were very different in their approach. Barzillai's comment to David was, I am too old now to cross over and enjoy the good things that the king has for me. And he was 80. And Caleb's um, statement was, I'm 84, but can I have the hills where the Anak dwell and the chariots have wheels of steel? Because that is what I want. When I let age determine what I can do or cannot do, that's, that's like really downsizing God, eh? So, vision orients goals. The goals for Acts 29 will not be set by a church that is bigger, better, uh, we can look at their ways and learn from them, but my God, you can't have their vision for you, man. I mean, you guys see it with your own kids. You got two kids and they're so blooming different. You, you, you think maybe you adopted one by mistake. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, Derek's parents always think that. <laughs> what about Don's parents? <laughs> so, vision orients goals. Vision orients goals. It sets targets. It's a completely different target then. It's a completely different target. What do you think Jesus' vision was, man? 12 people? Really low target, eh? 
It ignites passion. My God, it ignites passion. And if you don't have that, what do you have? Yep, go ahead, Anne. Yeah. Yeah, so let's assume that I uh, uh, get this glimpse of what I need to do in 2020. And uh, I am overwhelmed by it. I, I, I begin to think, is this God or is this not going to work out or is this my desire? So I come to you because you, you've run this before, this race before. And so I come to you and I say, hey, Anne, what do you think? Uh, this is what I heard. And then we begin to talk. And you help me figure out whether this is God or not. And so that's what Paul did when he went to the apostles and said, this is the revelation that Christ has given me. I want to talk to you and figure out, is this really God or am I running in vain? So you go to somebody who's done this before, run this before, knows how to walk in this, and you begin to work with them to help you flesh out what you have heard. And with a, in a small church like this, you're at such an advantage because um, there's always time for you. Yeah? It ignites passion. It prioritizes time. Uh, actually, it doesn't priorita prioritize time. It prioritizes. Time is the result of priorities. Time is the result of priorities. You always have time for that which you prioritize. So it doesn't prioritize time. It just prioritizes. And when things are prioritized, you always have time. I'm surprised at how I always have time for important things, like hockey. There's a game today at five against Las Vegas. We lost yesterday, but there is hope today. <laughs> See, the point is, oh, didn't you hate that loss against the Leafs? Okay, moving on. Prioritize. When you prioritize, you create time. The next thing is you readjust focus. You readjust focus. You readjust focus. As in, vision allows you to keep going back and saying, ah, shucks, I kind of lost my way, or I kind of stopped to smell the roses, or I kind of followed something else that was successful, or I kind of kept doing what I did last year because it was highly successful and people liked it. Let me refocus. Jesus would do this, eh? We were just doing Mark 2 at one of the house churches, and Jesus goes off in the morning, uh, Peter comes looking for him, and Peter's saying, why aren't you out there with the crowd that's clamoring for you? And Jesus' reply in Mark chapter 1 is, I have other towns and villages to go to. It's a readjusting of focus so that you don't lose your North Star. It's a readjusting of focus so that you don't lose sight of the North Star. You readjust focus, and then you, you accurately apportion Time, talent, strength, treasure to the thing that God is calling you to. You accurately apportion or allocate your time, your talent, your strength, your treasure to the thing that God is calling you to. So when Acts 29 gets a bunch load of money, it doesn't decide that, okay, let's give it all to Jacob, though that would be a great thing. But it decides that what is most important, that is where they should go to. Any questions? Any questions, guys? Any disagreements? Anything you want to add? No? Cool. You guys are pretty awake. I thought I'd send Bob to speak first to see how you would respond. 
and I was watching you. I wasn't listening to him. No, I'm kidding. I was listening to every word he and Don spoke. Thank you, guys. Hey, grasping vision is hard work. Grasping vision is hard work. It requires that you climb up the watchtower, that you climb up the watchtower. As in, uh, in Habakkuk chapter 1, I think it says, God, uh, Habakkuk chapter 2, it says, I'll climb up the watchtower and wait for God's response. So there is a need to actually go seeking him. So you climb up the watchtower and then you look for God. You look for God. You wait patiently for his answer because he is in a cosmic vending machine who pops out an answer as soon as you put in a coin. There is the idea of being in relationship before things so precious can be revealed. But it's so worth it. And then you begin to wrestle with what he has said because it goes against the grain of your flesh and it goes against the grain of your thinking because it, it almost defies logic that God would choose you to do the things he's asking you to do. You wrestle with it. You grapple with it. You think you're grappling with it, but the word is wrestling you, jockeying for position till it begins to change your thinking. And as, you change, as, you, as your thinking begins to change, you become a different person. And once you become a different person, that vision becomes a reality. It is beautiful, man, how God does this. Sometimes it takes years. Make time your ally. So he takes a man who is a prince of Egypt, out of Egypt. He teaches him how to walk till he's the meekest man on the face of the earth. Takes him to a burning bush and begins to show him the name of God, Yahweh, the first time in the history of the earth, revealing his name and who he is. His mind begins to change. This meek man now has the audacity with a stammering mouth to go before the most powerful person in the face of the earth, Pharaoh. Begins to trust God that the same God who wasn't there when he fled Egypt now has the power to cause Egypt to flee and Israel to walk out with its head held high. Takes them through 10 different situations where finally they're released and they're walking through the desert. But that ain't enough. They've crossed the Red Sea. That was enough. But now he needs a further upgrade. So God calls him up a mountain. And for the first time, a man besides Adam sees some form of God on Mount Sinai. And it changes him again. It changes his thinking. And now he has the ability to lead a people through the desert out into the promised land. Guys, every year that we enter into must result in an upgrade of the way we think of God because if we don't have that, then the vision of God stays the same because every year it's going to be more God than we can imagine. And so, climb up the watchtower. Look for God. Patiently let the picture develop. Wrestle with what God has said. Let it begin to change your mind. And then as it changes your mind, you become the man or woman you're shaped, uh, that he wants you to be shaped into. And stay with it, eh? Don't let things crowd these things out because it ain't worth it, man. Like, yeah. I don't know how you go climbing the watchtower. I got my own ways, man. Each one does it differently. But find, start looking for him because he's waiting.
Any questions? If anything is too abstract, let me know and I'll try to make it simpler. Make time your ally. God is not interested in, God is interested in your growth. He's not interested in how much time you spend growing. Because so, he, he, he's got all the time in the world. He created it. So if I don't change, he'll spend more time where I am trying to change me. So instead of trying to make things happen quickly, I've got to get this done by this, I've got to become this by this, it doesn't work that way. The reason targets never work is because you set the timeline for it and either you hurry it. I mean, the, the one area where nobody can intervene is when you've got to have a baby take nine months to form. I remember a lady called Susan who got up from her hospital bed, running out of the hospital, shouting, I don't want to have this baby, or either I want to have it now, or I don't want to have this baby. And the doctors had to convince her it doesn't work like that. Really, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. This is what she did. The point being, there is a time where things of God gestate, and there is nothing we can do but let it happen. Make time your ally, because you cannot hurry it. Because this is one, this is the only kingdom that deals not with things but with people. And God will not allow me to deal with people till he can change me. As wonderful as I am, have you noticed how Sheldon and Jane will never give me their baby to hold? <laughs> there is a reason. So, Make time your ally in the sense, be changed so that um, God can then begin to use you. And the more you cooperate with him, the quicker you are able to become what he wants you to become. Three things that you have to watch out for, guys, that are like enemies of this process. It's complacency, uh, procrastination, And uh, unbelief. Complacency, procrastination, and unbelief. Don't let these three things get in the way. Because the complacent won't grasp vision. The complacent won't grasp vision. If I was a famous pastor, the moment I do this, there would be someone who would come to take this off and fold it and hang it properly. But I have to do these things myself. <laughs> Complacency, unbelief, procrastination. Complacency, unbelief, procrastination. The complacent won't grasp vision. The, un the unbelieving won't embrace it with faith. The complacent won't grasp vision. As in, uh, mediocrity is good enough, so... Vision, mission, shishin, big deal. Life is pretty good as it is. Mediocrity is bliss. So let's just continue in it. Uh, the uh, unbelief is when you don't have the faith to now take this vision and run with it because it's really beyond you. It's going to cost you way too much and it, you don't have faith for it. And then the third one is procrastination where uh, you won't walk in it because you, you, you think you can walk in it tomorrow or July. Uh, guys, at the end of the day, procrastination is defined as the practice of doing that which is more pleasurable, less urgent, 
and putting off impending things to another day. Procrastination is when I choose to do things that are more pleasurable, when I uh, choose to make my focus the less urgent things, and when I choose to put off impending tasks to a later time. That's what procrastination is. One can have sight and, or vision and yet be lame. Lameness is a condition where you can see but you can't walk in what you see. And so some of us here have vision. It's not a lack of vision. You have climbed the mountain, you've seen what God wants you to see. But now that you have the vision, you don't know how to walk in it. And when I don't know how to walk in something, guess what I do? I go to someone who has walked before me and I ask them to help me. If you want God visions to come to pass in your life, it is impossible to do that without humility. Because there, no, there is no vision that God gives that will not require you to be humble and dependent. He will never give you a vision that you can accomplish on your own. You will need someone else. Therein lies the rub, eh? People have vision, but they want to be lone stars or mavericks or stuff like that. And then what happens is lone rangers or mavericks, and what then happens is you have sight, but you can't walk in it because you're lame. Once you know you have vision, go and ask someone who has done this before to help you, man. These are... These are characteristics of the, of the, these are, this is the nature of God and he just sticks to it. He can be pretty stubborn when he wants to, eh? And he'll just stick to it saying, well, if you, Jacob, are going to be proud and not ask for help, you can keep trying yourself, you'll keep falling, I'll pick you up multiple times because I'm faithful and time ain't a problem for me. This is what he'll do. Any questions? Hey, some of these things should really uh, irk us, right? And I'm sure it's irking us. But what can you do? It ain't me who's saying this. I can show you situations in the Bible where exactly this happened. Welcome again, guys. Someone took your place. Any questions, guys? Impending tasks. When I know I have to do something today, I uh, decide that I can do less urgent things first, more pleasurable things first. So why not push it to tomorrow? Because, uh, yeah. Guys, uh, there are things that God thinks is urgent that you may not think is urgent. Always do the things that God thinks are urgent first. Uh, th that's where we make a mistake, eh? We have things that I may demand of you that I think are urgent and then there are things that God thinks are urgent and you will try to finish what the world demands of you first but you will set aside that which God is demanding of you first and the reason God is demanding something else of you first is if you get that you have the key to do everything else. So one of the things I do on a Sunday or any day of the week is Father, 
what are the things that are super important to you? Can I have them first? And then once I have them, I can take care of the rest because they'll all fall into place. Because which email is not urgent? Which text message is not urgent? Which WhatsApp message, other than the ones that the young adults send, is not urgent? Once you capture vision, and I pray God that you do. Guys, it's not difficult, eh? It is not difficult. It is just a question of putting your nose to the... Um, what do you put your nose to? Yeah, that just doesn't compute in my head. Putting my nose to the grindstone, no. Yeah, let's just forget the nose for now. Just <laughs> Why would one put their nose to the grindstone? You don't know, obviously. <laughs> okay. It, it, once you capture vision, uh, here are a few things that happens. Eh? It connects you. It connects you to heaven. Uh, that might sound like a very glib statement, very uh, churchy statement, but it's really not. What it does when you connect to vision is that once you capture vision, you actually connect to heaven as in, hey, Jacob, this is what I had for Acts 29. Now that you've clued on, man, you're right in the center of my plan. Hey, Jacob, this is exactly what I had for you in 2020. Now that you've clued on, watch how I back you. That's what I mean by connecting to heaven. It would be like someone here Connecting to something that I want done, you think I won't help you then? I may not, but let's say I do. <laughs> Second, it quickens life. It quickens mortal, not mortal, just it quickens life. As in, there are guys who suddenly uh, connect to God's vision and their lives are extended. Their physical lives are extended. They get an extra kick of energy or strength that they didn't have previously. Why? Because suddenly you find yourself in the purpose of God. Hey, God's purpose revives, eh? Don't doubt it for a second. God's purpose revives. God's purpose revives. It quickens your mortal body. Shudder at the term retirement. God's purpose revives. It quickens your life. Quickens your life. I'm telling you, man, the older you get, the better it gets if you have vision. And vision is much bigger than your gifting. Vision is much bigger than your singing. Vision is much bigger than the work you presently are doing. Vision is much bigger than the targets or the goals you've set for yourself. Vision is much bigger than that. Remember what we said. It is God's dream, which is an overarching canopy that you have to discover, that you have to possess, that you have to build on, that is given to you in apportioned times. Why? So that you may fulfill the purposes of God. Once we capture it and it's validated through the processes we've explained, it quickens you, man, and it connects you to heaven. This is real. Even if it were to lie dormant for six months, it would still quicken you and connect you to heaven. Because sometimes it may be so that your circumstances at present don't allow you to run in your vision. 
Jacob had a vision, but he got stuck in Laban's land for 20 years. And for 20 years, his vision lay dormant. But my God, it was there. All it needed was a bit of wrestling that would reshape that man into the man that he was supposed to be. Thanks for that encouragement. Really. It allocates resources. It allocates resources. It allocates resources. Hey, once you click onto vision, you'll be surprised at how money is not the problem. Money is a problem sometimes when God is when God's not the vision sponsor. Money is a problem when you're working in land you should not be working in. Money is a problem when you're working in someone else's land that you were supposed to leave long ago. Money is a problem when the vision that you have or the purpose that you have is not necessarily God-crafted and is not for you at this time. But once you find that, ah, shucks, this is the inheritance or the vision or the purpose that God has allotted to me, you'll find that money is not a problem. The money is there. And it doesn't matter how small your house is, how small your job is, how limited your salary is, money will never be a problem. It's very odd how this works. But I've proven it way too many times, and I know it's true. This church has proven it many times over. We've never undertaken a project we can handle or have the money for. Never. Somehow generosity kicks in from all over the world and from us. It'll express your personality. It'll express your personality. The vision of God expresses your personality. The vision of God expresses your personality. Ah, shucks, it's four. Uh, almost four. I'll go for another 15 minutes, guys. Uh, it, 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 it's all Don's fault. We just thought we might put it on you, Don, because we always blame Bob for everything. Yeah, yeah. No worries, Bob. I got you back. Yeah. So, um, guys, um, it expresses your personality. I love the fact that God's vision is so crafted for us that it'll always express your personality. It'll express who you are, how God wired you, what you were meant to do as a church or as an individual. It'll always express your personality. It'll help you endure through hard times. It'll help you endure through hard times. It'll help you endure through hard times where it is impossible to push you down because, my God, inside you, you got something. It says in Psalm 105 that they shackled Joseph, but he knew what he had inside, and the word of the Lord tested him, and then he was set free. It's impossible to shackle something inside. Impossible. You'll endure through hard times. You'll leave a legacy. You'll leave a legacy. You'll leave a legacy. Because all, all God visions end up benefiting somebody else. What a God, eh? This God is so not about himself. This God is so about others. 
And so any purpose that he has for us will always end up benefiting others. You won't even have to set up a trust or a monument. It will benefit others. And by the way, once you start going down this road, you'll find that Aquilas and Priscilla's will rise up to help you in your tent making. You will find uh, pagan kings like Cyrus say, what do you want to uh, build what God has asked you to build? You'll find Jonathan's who, uh, Jonathan, who is the son of Saul, come and associate with you, even though your fa his father does not like you. You'll find Elisha's rise up. People will rise up to help you because these are things like Bob was saying, these are things that God planned years ago. Years ago, 13, 14 years ago, he had set up something saying at this particular day, at this particular time, I'm going to send someone your way so that hoping you will become who you will become at that point, this person will interject your path at the right time and all that I had planned will come to pass. Amazing God of tapestry. This is how he works, man. So it's, did I scare the kid? <laughs> Sorry, Jane. Not everyone takes to my preaching well. Shiloh does, yeah. He got, in, he got used to it, actually, yeah. Four years, three years, right? Oh, okay. My bad. <laughs> Hey, so where does, this, where does this visioning begin? All visioning begins in the Father's house. All visioning begins in the Father's house. And what do I mean by that? Guys, till you're convinced that the Father is good and he loves you, it's very hard for vision to develop. Kids that grow up in a home where fathers, and fathers in particular are not loving will never learn to dream. Never. One of the saddest things that happens to orphans and to kids who grow up in homes where parents are not loving, is that the child never learns to dream. The child only learns to survive. Sets goals that are achievable, surrounds himself, protects himself, and you can never protect and surround yourself with survival and dream, eh? It's two opposite things. Joseph, the reason he learned to dream and dream well in prison is because he grew up in his father's house and his father loved him and favored him tremendously. There is no dreaming till there is growing up in the house of a father. And by father, I mean that father, eh? We can create the same environment here. But my God, if you don't have that, you ain't dreaming. So it's critical that as you approach 2020 that you find yourself wrapped up, swaddled in cloth. Only this is the Father's love and Father's favor, eh? It allows you to dream, man. I know I've told you this, but man, one of the nicest things my dad did was he would allow me to dream and then he would reasonably try to explain why he couldn't do it for you. When I wanted a horse to ride to school instead of going on a bike, he stopped because there was a man selling a horse. And he allowed me to go touch the horse. And I said, can we buy this? I want to ride the horse to school. And then he asked the price of the horse. And I'm thinking, was a wow. And then he sat me down in his Jeep and he said, um, this horse eats a lot. That was not a problem. I thought my parents could feed it. And so... I said, that's okay. And then I said, then he said, if it eats a lot, it poos a lot. And you would have to clean it up in school. 
you'd have to go and gather all the poop, put it in a... Like it hardly took me four seconds to forget the idea, man. <laughs> so, but I was fascinated at how reasonable he was in helping me with my dream and then telling me why it wasn't possible for it to be a reality right now. I mean, some things my dad got so right. I pray God that we begin to understand the love of this father, eh? Because it'll allow you to dream. Father, I just pray that um, over the next few weeks, we understand that we can only dream if we uh, have this freedom not to be protected, not to fight for our survival, but to dream knowing we are safe. Father, you've got to help this church to dream because you, oh God, have dreamt so many beautiful things for us. I just pray that, and I pray that as the one who leads this house, Father, that you would help me to help people to know they are safe and they can dream. Help me, Abba. It was in his father's house that he learned submission uh, when he made errors with the way he talked about his dreams. It was in his father's house that he found his place. We are talking about Joseph. It was in his father's house that he earned trust. It was in his father's house that, that he began to prove his gift of dreaming. It was in his father's house that he began to speak about his vision, his dream. I pray, God, that you find that with your father, eh? So before you go and ask God, oh, God, I want a vision, say, oh, God, I'd so like to receive your love so that I can lay back in your arms and dream. And there will be seductions on the way. There will be satanic traps on the way. You've got to avoid them because one of the things with God is that... Um, purity matters. You can have a dream and never accomplish it because there was no purity to go with the dream. Why does purity matter? Because your God is holy and therefore his purposes and dreams are holy. And therefore it is impossible to hold those dreams with hands that are unholy. It doesn't mean that one has to be perfect, but one has to be in pursuit of the one who is holy. And that is sufficient. Because when one is in pursuit of something, he always changes towards it, not away from it. I love that, eh? If you're pursuing something, you're always moving closer to become like that which you're pursuing. And behind you is, is debris of things that you've thrown away. Let's conclude. So here are some things that you can do to begin to figure out this process. One, um, look at your photo album. As in, look at the ways and the works of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that have dotted your lifescape over the last two years. Look at your photo album. As in, when you look at the past over the last two years, when you look at what God has been doing in your life for the last two years, you'll begin to find out the direction that God has been trekking for the last while, and perhaps he'll continue that for a, way, for a while. So look at your photo album. Look at your photo album. Track what God has been doing over the last two years. Track God's, track God works for two years. Where I mean, if I look at my life right now for the last two years, I'll find that he's beginning to send me into certain nations where the intent is not necessarily to 
have a conference or a teaching, but go into a nation where something needs to be broken, something that stood for sometimes thousands of years, sometimes hundreds of years. And he'll reveal that, and I go there, and I have to spend some time breaking it. That seems to be the pattern. And it's just started about a year ago. And so in my mind, it is thinking, um, my thinking is, Father, as I look at what you've been doing with my life over the last one year, I know that it will continue. So ready me so that I can deal with these ancient demonic doors or ancient godly doors that need to be opened or shut in different nations across the world so that whatever you want to do after that needs, gets done. So it doesn't matter whether it's Diana of Artemis in Ephesus or it doesn't matter if it's something else in India or it doesn't matter if it's something else in New Zealand. Sure, God. So as you look at your past, you begin to get an idea of, ah, shucks, so this is what have you been up to, oh God. That's one. Second, uh, telescope into the future through the prophetic spoken over you. Telescope into the future through the prophetic spoken over you. Telescope into the future through the prophetic spoken over you. Telescope into the future through the prophetic spoken over you. So what have you heard in the last little while that God has spoken over your life? Many in, uh, sitting under this roof have had God speak over your life. And as you go and look at all the things, and I, I know you've heard this before, but it's such a cool practice to go over all that has been said since 2018 September over your life. And you'll find that every time things have been said, you will find that there's a certain thing that is repeated every time. And that forms your core that God wants you to use as a filter to operate through. And then there are other things that people have said that are peripheral. And those are important, but take, take what God has kept repeating again and again and again and again. What is God trying to do? God is standing in the future and saying, hey Jacob, I've spoken over your lives four times in the last 15 months. And have you noticed how anybody and everybody that I have sent to speak into your life keeps repeating the same thing even though they don't know you or they don't know what I've said before? So why don't you take what has been said many times and begin to use it as a filter that you see through as you walk into 2020? This is what Isaiah and Jeremiah and others would do and sometimes people would get the hang of it and say, ah, oh, shucks, you said this a few times, oh God. Manoj, did you want to ask a question? Okay. You raised your hand, that's why I thought. Yeah. Okay, third. Guys, go over, go over it again and again. Go over it again and again. Man, this is so critical. Whatever God has said, write it down. Man, writing is so critical. I mean, Habakkuk, when they didn't have pens and paper, he said, Habakkuk, write it down. Isaiah, write it down. Jeremiah, write it down. Moses, write it down. These five books have to be read. Write it down, write it down. Paul, write it down. John, write it down. Daniel, write it down. Got to write it down, man. Please don't depend on your memories. You're, you're not that smart. Write it down. And why write it down? Not so that you have a record of it. Write it down so that you can go over it again and again and again and again. Why? Because you only inhabit that which you think. You only inhabit that which you think. 
Guys, I'm telling you, man, I go over words written over my life or that God wants me to become. I go over them once every week for 52 weeks. It changes who I am. It gives me confidence when I should be afraid. It makes me think of myself more than I normally think of myself. It gives me the faith to walk into things that I'm dead scared of. It makes me take risks when I don't have the money or the resources for it. Why? Because somewhere inside, something has changed. Because I'm reading what God has said over and over and over and over and over again. And I'm not just talking about the prophetic. I'm talking about the, what the word says about God and what the word says about you. And then the prophetic, which is a direct Rima word to you saying, Hey, Jacob, this is what I had for you. What do you think you will inhabit? Think like God, man. Think like God. Think like God. And then set up a witness. One of the things that the Old Testament guys used to... Gosh, I got three minutes. One of the things that Old Testament guys used to do is once they were convinced that God had said something, they would take a heap of stones or they would take something and set up a witness. The intent was, this will prove for generations to come that God said this. I do that every year, man. We used to do that at Acts 29, eh? Certain pictures that would be put up would be to remind us that this is what God is doing. Every year you come to my home, you'll find something, some, some, some piece of art that I will buy that'll symbolize what God is doing. So that every time I walk into my house, I'll look at it and say, ah, shucks, I know what you're up to. Two more things and we're done. I'll finish the rest next time, which ain't usually, doesn't usually happen. Look at the house or the tribe or the spiritual mentor you're connected to, and you will have an idea of some of the ways that await you in 2020. Look at the house or the tribe or the spiritual mentor that you have decided you need to connect to. There are some of us who may be connected to somebody just because that's where our grandfathers went. That's different. But look at the house or the tribe or the spiritual mentor or father that you're connected to, and it'll give you a good idea of, ah, so this is what's going to happen. That's very natural, right? I mean, if you go to Juilliard, it's unlikely that you're going to end up being an athlete. It's likely that you'll end up being Sheldon. So the, the point is, the house that you're connected to has some traits that will become evident. The spiritual father or mentor that you're connected to, certain things of him will become yours. It's very natural. There's a reason Shiloh doesn't look like any of us. He will look like his parents. Next one. Look at the demands being made of you right now. Look at the demands being made of you that you didn't ask for, but there are demands being made of you. In this church, sometimes in the world, look at the demands being made of you. And you'll begin to figure out, ah, the kind of demand of God that you're putting right now on my life, I didn't ask for it, I didn't shape it, I didn't invite it, but my God, it's bearing down on me. Why? Because... A seed does not grow unless a demand is placed on it. Look at the demands that are being placed on you. Let's take two more. I'll just read it so I don't have to explain it. Have an idea of your most enjoyed skills. Have an idea of your most enjoyed skills. Most compelling interests 
most uh, practiced spiritual gifts right now. I'll give you an idea of which way God is walking. And the last one. Look at your context. Some of us are retired. Some of us need a financial breakthrough. Some of us are pregnant. Some of us are new parents. Some of us have a new job. Look at your context. Your context determines the freedom you have to do things. Look at your context. And know that whatever God gives you will fit within that context. And so don't panic when God says, read all of Isaiah and you have twins and you don't know how to read it. And the strange thing is you'll read three verses of Isaiah and you'll get more out of that than us who read three chapters of Isaiah. Your context, God knows how to step into it and create situations where in very limited time, he can give you much more than what others would take ages to get to. He's a God who knows how to accelerate things. It eh? doesn't matter that Ahab is riding a chariot. Elijah can run. Let's stop there, guys. Uh, just remember that some of us may need to step out of misplaced loyalties and allegiances. Just remember that as you go forth figuring this out, some of us may be able to get where God wants us to get in terms of grasping the vision, but sometimes vision doesn't come to pass till you step out of old or misplaced allegiances and loyalties. Meaning, Jacob can have a vision, but he needs to leave Laban's land for it to be realized. Otherwise, you can stay stuck with a vision and you will die with your vision. And they will say of you, here lies a great visionary who died with his vision. Please learn how to not continue in your misplaced allegiances and loyalties. Do you know something? And I said this two nights ago to someone. Jonathan was always known as Saul's son, not as David's friend. That's excusable. He was the next king, supposed to be the next king. But listen to this. Michael, Saul's daughter, David's wife, was never known as David's wife. Michael was always known as Saul's daughter. That is bothersome. Don't be known as Saul's daughter when you're married to David, man. Make sure your allegiances are not misplaced or not old loyalties that you don't know how to sever because you're too scared of how it may grieve your past when God is saying, man, I got so much that I want to do with you in the future. Cool? Let's just pray. Father,